ministry, Alana. Really appreciate it. Matthew 21, Matthew 21. And uh, we're going to be all over the Bible, though, this evening. And uh, title of the message is Preparing God's House for Prayer. And you get into Matthew there, I think you'll, you'll get the point here. Uh, Matthew 21, and then uh, we'll read uh, from verse number 12 down, oh, just uh, four verses or so. We'll pray and we'll get right into it. And then I want to practically apply it at the end of the service. So I'm going to leave time here. I'm going to get through these fast here. Canaan, put that away. Away. Matthew 21, verse number 12, the Bible says, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves, and the blind and the lame came in uh, to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and uh, the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto him, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected? praise. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this evening. Thank you that we can gather around your word, these wonderful words of life as we uh, sang this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd penetrate our hearts. Uh, I pray you break up the fallow ground. I pray that you'd minister to us um, and then uh, work in our hearts, work in our lives. Prepare us uh, to be prayer, uh, people of prayer. In uh, Christ's name, amen. There was uh, a time when the house of God was the Old Testament tabernacle. We find this in Exodus chapter 25, uh, verses 8 through 9. Um, it says, and let, and let them make, a, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. And so, um, at one time, the house of God, place of worship, was the Old Testament Old Testament tabernacle. A second uh, place that it had become uh, the house of God was the Old Testament temple. The Old Testament temple was at one time the house of God. Uh, we say we're coming down to the house of God. Well, uh, we refer to this building as the house of God, place of meeting, gathering place of worship, and... and uh, Rightfully so, but we're, we'll, we'll see where the house of God is in this New Testament era here in just a minute. But uh, it was the Old Testament temple in Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 14. The Bible says, It came even to pass as the trumpeters and the singers as one uh, uh, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lift up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Uh, then the house was filled with a cloud, even uh, the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled uh, the house. And so we see the house of God was uh, the Old Testament tabernacle, was the Old Testament temple, 
And then uh, number three, where is the house of God in the New Testament era? Where is the house of God in the New Testament era? Um, I want to say a couple of things here. Uh, corporately, uh, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. All right, 1 Timothy 3, and then look at verse number 15, a familiar verse, as we've, uh, we've hit on this a couple of times, and then also Wednesday night. Uh, but it says, 1 Timothy 3, 15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so we see corporately the house of God. I don't have a problem with us calling this the house of God. Uh, but uh, the church is the individual believers that make and assemble uh, in uh, the house of God. And so more specifically, individually, uh, let's see this here in 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. And verse number 19, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. It says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. And so the Bible says when we're saved, uh, Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, into our beings, into our center core, it comes into us, takes up residence in our, in our soul, in our spirit, uh, rather. And um, uh, we become a temple this body, this fleshly body, is the temple of God, a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. It says, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. And did you get that, young people? You're not your own. When you get saved, you're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. It's, say amen if you understand that, Remington. Say amen if you understand that, Canaan. All right, when we get saved, Holy Spirit comes into us, God takes residence in our lives, and we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We're not our own. God lets us make uh, decisions uh, on how to live our lives, but we're not our own. We need to keep that in mind, and we need to focus on what God wants us uh, to do with the life that he's given us. Kind of goes along with the message this morning. Um, but any, anyhow, um, Jesus declared his house shall be called a house of prayer. I turn this on now, Bobby, and it sounds a little louder, but I'm okay with it. Matthew 21, verse 13 says this, And uh, said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye hath made it a den of thieves. And so uh, a couple of facts regarding God's house. Uh, and uh, if you're saved, you are God's house. You're God's house. God lives in you. God indwells you. Um, but a couple of uh, thoughts on this idea of God's house, and we're not just talking about this. It is applicable to this, to this building that we're assembled in, uh, but most importantly, the, 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 the being, uh, the temple that Holy Spirit indwells. God's house is to be a house of purity. God's house is to be a house of purity. Matthew 21, verse 12 says, And Jesus went into the temple of God 
and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And so we see that uh, the Lord Jesus went into this temple and saw there was wickedness going on that he didn't want in there. And he overthrew it. He kicked it out. He threw over the tables. He, he got the crooks out of there. And um, he was purifying that place, if you will. Number two, God's house is to be a house of prayer, a house of prayer. And obviously, we saw the reference to that, Matthew 21, verse 13. He says, uh, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. So God's house is to be a house of purity, a house of prayer. Two more of these, a house of power, a house of power, a Holy Spirit power. God's power, not our power and the power of the flesh, obviously, and we know this, but uh, Matthew 21, verse 14 says, And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. We, If I can put it in a uh, uh, maybe a popular song, res we have resurrection power. We have the power of the Holy Spirit of God living in us. God has given us not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And uh, we, uh, he, uh, God's house is to be a house of power. Number four, God's house is to be a house of praise. Look at verses 15 through 16 of Matthew 21. It says, And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, um, <clears throat> and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto them, uh, him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Ye uh, Have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. And so we see praise was going out in the house of God. And uh, God wanted that. That's what the Lord wanted. He said, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected uh, praise. You know, after I had gotten saved and surrendered to God, it took some time. It wasn't a right away thing. I, I got saved when I was younger. I didn't have a miraculous transformation in my eyes. In, in God's eyes, I was passed from life unto death. Uh, but uh, I'm from life unto death, from death unto life. I should have kept going. Nobody caught that, huh? Um, <clears throat> but I was transformed that way. But, I mean, I didn't, I, I still probably got in trouble the next day when I went to school on Friday. Um, but uh, eventually, I followed the Lord in believer's baptism. I got baptized after somebody instructed me the importance of it when I was a senior in high school, finally. And then I uh, went off to a secular college, and I was doing my own thing. And uh, I would come back to church occasionally on, on Sundays when, when I felt like it, when it was convenient with my schedule. And then the Lord slowly but surely uh, got a hold of me uh, through the preaching and through the fellowship uh, with uh, with other other uh, Christians and and uh, there there came a time when I I learned the importance of walking with God and getting into my Bible and and having a time of prayer and and uh, but this this verse was very um, uh, influential to me in Genesis 17 verse three it says this it says Abr Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying. And I first read that verse, you know, it's kind of humorous. You're probably familiar with it. You read verses where he fell on his face, and we say this person fell on their face in prayer. You know, it almost uh, 
almost, uh, you know, if it was a literal falling on your face, you'd be hurt and almost uh, an exaggeration. But I like the emphasis on it. I like the I like the uh, the just just the emphasis, the intensity and the passion of of uh, the thought of somebody falling on their face in prayer to God. And as Christians, we ought to fall on, you know, not not hurting ourselves, but there ought to be times in our lives where we've we've come, come under such such need for God that we've fallen on our faces and we cry and we call out to God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever needed him so bad for something? Have you ever needed an answer? You needed him to work in your situation so bad that you fell on your face, you called out to God and you said, God, I need you so bad. I need you in this situation. I can't do anything. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the I don't have the expertise, I don't have the power, neither does this person, the doctor doesn't have it. This person that I look up to, they don't have the answer, only you have the answer, you're God, and I need you, God, would you come through for me? Well, I see that, I see that, that's what Abraham did, that's what Abraham did. He, he called out to the Lord, and this verse has kind of been an encouragement uh, in time of need, uh, in time when I've known that I needed to talk to God, I need to fall on my face, and I need to call out to Him. When's the last time you just got alone and you called out to God? You fell on your face and you said, God, I need you. I need you to help me in this situation. There's an importance uh, of doing that. There's a, there's a need when, uh, believe, I want my kids to get to that point. I don't know if they've ever had a time when they've had a, a time where they've called out to God in desperation. I remember praying for our, we had lost one of our dogs. Uh, I told you the story, I think. We took it to get bread in Cleveland, and, and the, guy, um, the guy ended up, uh, he, he lost it, he said. He lost it the day before. It wasn't a good situation. He lost it the day before he said he actually lost it. When I called to, to pick her up, he said that she had run away that day. And... Uh, we prayed for months. I remember Sammy and I remember Rocky, more so Sammy. But every night, every, every day we were praying, God, would you please bring back Kona? Would you please bring back Kona? We got him, I got him recorded on, on video. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the desperation of somebody who've experienced, you know, a lot of uh, trying situations, but it was, a, it was an innocent boy that was calling out and depending upon God to bring back his dog. It was almost a confidence, and God, I'm asking you for this. Would you, would you bring back the dog? And you know the story. Some six months later, um, <clears throat> I got a call, random call from somebody after receiving many calls from a lot of people, bad calls. I hit your dog. I ran it over in my diesel truck, and send me the money, and then I'll send you your dog. Well, we got a call, and we met up with the person two hours away at a... Uh, at a gas station or one of the toll uh, exits, and we reunited with the dog, and we had the dog uh, before we went to Hawaii that last time. But all that uh, I say, all that that my my kids need to be able to get to a point someday where where they're calling out to God in their desperate moments, in their rejoicing moments, in their in their moments where they need an answer, they need to hear from God because mom can't help, dad can't help. Uh, doctors can't help, uh, best friend can't help, only God can help them in the situation, and they need a relationship with God. 
and God's house is to be a house of prayer. Tonight, we're going to see the importance of prayer and how Jesus prepared God's house for prayer. And I want to give you a, a, a few facts here regarding prayer, and then at the end, we're going to do some praying. Number one, prayer is important to Jesus. Some easy, simple points here. Prayer is important to Jesus. Jesus is the very Son of God, and He had a prayer life. God the Son prayed to His Father. Now, did He need to? He had all power. Uh, his, his glory was veiled, but uh, when He came down to this earth, but He still had all power. He could snap His fingers if He wanted to and make things happen. Um, you know that He stilled the waters. He healed people. Um, he raised them uh, from death unto life. Uh, but prayer was important to Jesus. Uh, it was part of his early ministry. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 34 through 35, it says, And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils, suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. It was part of Christ's early ministry. Prayer was part of Christ's mid-ministry. Matthew 14, verses 22 through 23 says, And straightway Jesus constrained His disciples to get into a ship and to go before Him unto the other side, while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, uh, He was there alone." So we see the importance of prayer uh, in the life of Jesus. He prayed early in his ministry. He prayed in the midst of his ministry. He prayed towards the end of his ministry. In Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 40, it talks about that. And then um, number four, uh, uh, that's the reference that I'll, I'll take time to read it because I want to get through this here. But Christ uh, had saw the importance of prayer uh, in his dying ministry. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, of course, you're familiar. Picture Christ on the cross. It says, uh, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments and cast lots. Matthew 27, verse 46, it says, and about the ninth hour, Jesus crowd, cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He called out to his father as he was dying on that cross. Then he prayed during his ministry after he'd resurrected. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, uh, talks about how he ever lives, ever liveth to maketh intercession for them. And so we see the importance of prayer. The very Son of God prayed. The very Son of God prayed. He needed God. How much more do we need God as God's children, as, as, as people that we're not Godhead? We're not part of the Trinity. We're His creation that He saved when we get saved, and, but God wants us to meet, communicate with Him. We ought to pray. We need to be calling out to Him. It's an important part. It's an important aspect of the Christian life. Prayer. Prayer is important. Prayer is important to Jesus. Prayer is important to God. Prayer ought to be important to us. Number two, prayer is despised by Satan. The devil doesn't want you to pray. The devil doesn't want you on your knees. He doesn't want you making intercession for somebody. He doesn't want you calling out to the Lord. He doesn't want you, 
He, he doesn't want you uh, to, uh, to get a, uh, to, to, uh, <clears throat> to go boldly uh, to the throne of grace. Prayer is despised by Satan. Zechariah 3 verse 1 says, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing in his right hand to resist him. James 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Tried to teach uh, that principle this morning to our kids in Sunday school, that, that uh, God has all power, and Satan is cunning, and he's, he's, uh, he's deceptive, and he wants to trick them up, uh, but we can resist the devil, the Bible says, and he'll flee from us. James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Do you think Satan wants much to be availed towards good for the glory of God? No, he doesn't. And so Satan despise, uh, despises prayer. Samuel Chadwick said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. The church that has lost its uh, presence of Christ was full of good works. Activities are multiplied that meditation may be ousted, and organizations are increased that prayer may have no chance. Souls may uh, be lost in good works as surely as in evil ways. Uh, the one concern of the devil is to keep saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom but trembles when we pray. Guy King said, no one's a firmer believer in the power of prayer than the devil. Not that he practices it, but he suffers from it. In the words of the Puritan John Flavel, he said this, uh, the devil is aware that one hour of close fellowship hearty converse with God in prayer, is able to pull down what he hath been contriving and building many a year. Stop doing that. Prayer has no substitution. Too many attempt uh, to do the work of God without prayer. When we pray, God undertakes and undergoods us for the work of God. And uh, uh, I, we, we referenced Samuel this morning, but notice how seriously the prophet Samuel uh, took uh, the, the exercise of prayer. 1 Samuel 12, uh, 23 says this, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things He hath done for you. And so the prophet Samuel, he ties together prayer and service. Uh, I've, I've heard the quote, maybe you're familiar with it, probably are. Pray like it all depends upon God, work like it all depends upon you. But if you're going to err, err on the side of prayer. Um, when prayer is incorporated in the early stages of our work, we will be able to say God has done great things for us. The psalmist said in Psalm 57, verse 2, I will cry unto the God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. The very thought of prayerlessness was considered a sinful matter by the prophet Samuel. I wonder if we're, guilt, we're guilty of prayerlessness. Lastly, I want you to notice something here. Prayer should be important to us. Prayer should be important to us. Prayer 
is important to Jesus Christ. Prayer is important to God. Uh, prayer is despised by the devil. And the devil hates when Christians pray. The devil hates when you pray, young people. The devil hates when you're gathered together with your family and you're uh, having devotions. The devil hates when uh, you're in a Sunday school class or a Bible class or wherever and you're in there and it's prayer time and you're taking prayer requests and you're praising him and then you're bringing these prayer requests uh, to God. The devil hates when that goes on. So do it, okay? So pray. So let's pray. Prayer should be important to us. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have uh, the preeminent. Psalm 27 verse 8 says, When thou sayest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, uh, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Luke chapter 18 verse 1 says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought to always pray, and not faint. How about you, but I can't remember a time in my life where I've been so intently focused on prayer that I've ever been in danger of fainting. I've had all-night prayer meetings before, at least one that I can remember. I've, I've, I've had some long prayer sessions before, and I don't think he's talking about falling asleep. There's been times when I've been praying, and then I would be tempted to fall asleep, or I have fallen asleep, but, but he said, we ought always to pray and not to faint. The connotation there is that we need to, we need to keep at it. We need to work. We need to, we need to pray. Prayer is an exercise. Prayer is working. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. One of the dangerous temptations in life is to create a separation or a dichotomy between the spiritual life and the secular life of a believer. Elizabeth Browning wrote this. She said, Earth, uh, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush of fire with God, and only who, uh, he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Oh, how sad to be consigned to a life of mere berry picking. E.M. Bounds, how many of you have some books by E.M. Bounds? Great, powerful powerful uh, reading. E.M. Bounds said this, the purpose of prayer as he crossed the sea in England uh, of, uh, of C.H. Spurgeon, he said this, that he glided from laughter to prayer with the naturalness of one who lived in both elements. With him, uh, the habit of prayer was free and unfettered. Uh, the emphasis here on the, it was a lifestyle of prayer. He'd be uh, laughing and talking and carrying on and and then uh, just uh, get into a, a time of prayer. His life was not divided into compartments. The one shut off from the other with a rigid exclusiveness that barred all intercommunication. He lived in constant fellowship with his Father in heaven. He was ever in touch with God, and thus it, has, uh, it was as natural for him to pray as it was for him to breathe. What a fine time we've had. Let us thank God for it he said to a friend on one occasion, and then went out under the blue sky and wrapped in glorious sunshine. They had enjoyed a holiday with the unfettered enthusiasm of schoolboys. Prayer sprang as spontaneously to his lips as did ordinary speech. And never was there the slightest incongruity in his approach 
to the divine throne, straight from any scene in which he might be taking part. How many of you have ever been with somebody and, and they're, they're, you just know that they pray? And uh, you, maybe, you, maybe you have somebody you go to, you know that they'll pray. And you go to them and, and you'll ask them if they'll pray for a certain thing. And, and right, right there in the spot of the moment, they'll just pray for you. And uh, it, not there, you know that later on they'll pray for you too. But it's not that it has to be, it ha- I, I got to go home and do this. Okay, I'll take this down, but hey, let's pray right now. Let's, let's take it before the throne of grace. Let's pray right now and, uh, and, 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 and go to God uh, about this. Alfred Tennyson said this. He wrote these powerful words. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. I am the product of answered prayer. Philippians 4, 6 says in everything by prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. God is never to be compartmentalized in our lives. It's not just a time of prayer at this time, but oh, we ought to be praying throughout the day. We ought to be having fellowship with God uh, every, every, every moment. We ought to be in fellowship and, and unison and cognizant and aware of the fact that God is in us and God desires communion with us as well. Um, allow nothing to separate you from immediate and open discourse with God. Uh, Dr. John R. Rice, I've heard this and read, read a couple of his book, few of his books, actually, I he said this regarding prayer, one of his books, uh, Prayer, Asking and Receiving. Uh, he'd be talking, and it says, uh, one of his biographies, he'd be talking to you, and in, in the middle of a paragraph, he would shift into prayer. I read that on more than one occasion, a person was caught off guard by his total candor uh, and availability of communication with God. I wonder, do you do that? Do you, or do you know some weirdo that does that? May we be one of those weirdos. May we be somebody that uh, people know, and I'm, I'm going to talk to God, I'm going to pray, and I need to do a better job of it, and I want to do a better job of it, but I want pe- folks to know that I'm going to pray for them, that I'll pray, that I, I want to talk to God on their behalf. In conclusion, I want you to notice with me here real quick, four stages of prayer, and they're quick. I'm just going to give you a reference to each one of these. And then I want to do some praying. Uh, Number one, four stages of prayer. Number one, there's dread. I know uh, we have our prayer service on Wednesday night, and I used to go to uh, First Baptist had a prayer service where it was time and the men could get up. It might have been everybody. I don't remember. But it was a time of prayer and praying. And I know sometimes people are uncomfortable about that, and and, uh, but but God wants us to pray. As children of God, we shouldn't be uncomfortable about prayer. There's nothing wrong with even sitting by somebody and you just being the silent partner, praying silently. But God wants us to pray. And so, uh, number one, there's the dread of prayer. Job 13, verse 11 through 22. He says, Withdraw thine hand far from me, and let not thy dread make me afraid. Uh, then call thou, and I will answer, or let me speak, and answer thou me. Number two, there's drudgery. Number one, there's dread. Number two, there's drudgery. Kind of a drudging, uh, oh man, it's, uh, it's, it is labor to pray. It does take effort. It does take work. It does take time. 
It does take deliberation, uh, but there's dread, and then there can be drudgery. And uh, the Lord says in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye that, are, that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Number three, there's duty. Number one, dread. Number two, drudgery. Number three, duty. Be a duty. Prayer can be a duty. But then number four is where we need to stay, where we need to park it, where we need to try to attain, and that is delight. The reference for duty was Luke 17, verse 10. But number four is delight. David said in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will. Oh, my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Romans 7, verse 22 says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. We ought to delight in fellowship with God. We ought to delight in the time, yeah, maybe it seems unorganized, maybe it seems unprofessional, and you don't get to praying until later on, but God wants us to pray. God desires for us to come to Him, to, to fellowship with Him, to converse with Him, to commune with Him. And so this evening, as we conclude, I want to take a moment, and I would like for us to try to delight in some prayer. This is what I want to do. I don't, I'm trying to keep us here forever, but I, I specifically would like for us to pray. And this is how I thought about that. <clears throat> I'd like for just a couple of families to get together and share individual requests that you may have. And uh, let's just finish up. No, no rush, but no, no, uh, um, we want to, let's delight in some prayer time with one another and fellow, what I can do is I can pray. I can uh, pair us up here. I can, my family can pray with Brother Bill, um, if you don't mind. And I was thinking maybe uh, McGraws and Ron. Would you want to take some time together? And then uh, maybe Miss Ardell and um, Furloughs. And then we got the Boltons, and uh, we, we're we're odd man out. Um, <clears throat> we got the. Peaches and the Bolton share with, um, you know, personal requests that you may have. Some some things that you, you know, you know what I mean. Just share. We don't have to say another group's prayer request. Just talk, get together, take some time and pray, and uh, let's do some business with the Lord. So I guess maybe Boltons and uh, we can have the Alexanders up with us, and Boltons and Peaches. Is that okay? All right. So let's get together here. Uh, let me give you some announcements before we leave. I think most everybody heard them, uh, but for the Alexanders, uh, Pie and Praise, the 23rd, Wednesday evening, 6.30. The Bell Choir will be with us on the 5th of December for the evening service, but that'll be our Christmas uh, service uh, that day. Then this Saturday, we're having a men and boys forging activity. 